This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street Components. Over 800 street fitments for handbars, bar mounts, clip-ons, brake pads, chains, and sprockets. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. On today's show, we're looking forward to the Indonesian Grand Prix at the Mandalika International Circuit. On today's show, myself, Steve English, Neil Morrison and uh, David Emmett are going to be looking ahead to some of the big news that we've seen in the paddock already in the last week. Adam Wheeler, the slacker that is Adam Wheeler, is not on the podcast this week. It's unacceptable. Weekend off from MotoGP. What's the man do? He goes to the MX of Nations and he works flat out there. Neil you're in the heart of Barcelona for another couple of hours before you fly off to Indonesia. And uh, this is when the season gets real. We've got six races left, two triple headers. And this is, what, six rounds in seven weeks. It's all a bit crazy. Exactly. Yeah, blinking, you miss it. Uh, it's kind of ridiculous to think we've still got a third of the season to go and we're in October now. Um, so it's going to be yeah, it's going to be intense, but also pretty exciting. Um yeah, going to lots of different racetracks in different countries and um, Indonesia coming up. I mean, it's a it's a bit of a beast of a trip to get there. But last year, I thought it was one of the one of the cooler places to be once you're there. Um, Lombok is is just beautiful, um, and the track. Well, last year we obviously had some uh, some dramas with regards to the, the 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 track surface, but I think this year hopefully that should be a little bit better. So um, yeah, looking forward to seeing how this weekend pans out. Uh, a question for you, in fact, a question for both of you, because um, uh, I mean you've both been there, and uh, obviously, I mean we'll be talking about it in a minute about Marco Bezzecchi being uh, injured and and making a decision about flying. But how how long does it take you to get to Mandalika from uh, from home so because uh, you're leaving tomorrow morning i think so that'll be tuesday morning so how many hours are, are you going to be uh, uh, from door to door uh, i think i should be getting to my hotel at 7 p.m on wednesday evening but then obviously have to take the time difference into account so yeah probably 28 29 hours i would say yeah so it's a fair old trek yeah bit of a trek gonna kick off today's pod with some of the big news obviously for us here in the paddock pass podcast upgrades are always a key thing Renthal Street sponsors us on the podcast and you can go to the Fit My Bike tool on Renthal to be able to find out all the aftermarket parts you're able to get for your motorbike but KTM made a big upgrade this week they've brought in Pedro Acosta for next season obviously it's been one of the worst kept secrets in the paddock but uh, Acosta he'll get a shot on a GP bike two years on a Moto2 bike one year on a Moto3 bike and then obviously his time in the Junior World Championship as well he's got a lot of experience but he's going to have a lot of pressure now as well yeah, it's a pretty rapid rise, isn't it? Um, three years in the Grand Prix paddock, and he's already won one world championship. Probably going to win another world championship, you would say. Um, I think he'll be one of the most anticipated MotoGP debutants probably since Marquez in 2013. Um, but yeah, obviously, Acosta's confirmed to be riding with uh, Gas Gas Tech 3 next year. Um, and it will be Augusto Fernandez that he is riding alongside. Um a little bit of confusion at the start of last week, which uh, had suggested that it was going to be Paul that would stay on. Um, but um, yeah, Augusta got the nod in the end. And um, yeah, I think it was about time that uh, KTM announced this because Pedro was clearly getting a little bit uh, frustrated with how things were going. Back in Japan was uh, not too subtly telling KTM to get a move on um, and, uh, you know, announce this thing so I can finally have that easy and I can focus just on winning this Moto2 World Championship. 
uh, rather than fielding questions about where I'll be next year constantly. Um, so they have acted, and uh, yeah, Pedro is going to be uh, is going to be an exciting prospect. Um, who knows what he can do next year? But you know, we always we obviously think that he's going to be one that can be maybe fighting for race wins in two or three years time in MotoGP. David, obviously the news came not as a surprise for the Acosta side of things. But there was that, like Neil said, the indecision between will it be Paul or will it be Augusto that stays on. What's your thoughts on it? It was the best decision because Paul was always likely to be retiring at the end of 24. Um, or, well, perhaps not retiring, but struggling to find a seat unless KTM add two more bikes to the grid. And it doesn't look like that's going to happen either uh, for 2025. Um, so, I mean, really all you're doing is, is you know, m- moving a decision forward. I think also, you know, Paul has been really, really quite severely injured a couple of times, you know, banged himself up really nastily on the Honda. Uh, and then the crash in, in Portimao was just horrendous. He's only just back. He's still weak in his shoulder. There, there, there are still problems. I'm not convinced, or I, well, no, I don't think he is. Um, this is 100% what his choice would have been. But I think he also sees the writing on the wall. Um, and, you know, he is going to be given a very uh, central role in KTM's and Gas Gas's program, I think. I think he's going to be a, a, a brand ambassador. He's going to help with the testing program. He's going to be, a, a, you know, like a super sub, a basically sub, a, a substitute rider. And with the amount of injuries we've seen, that, that becomes, you know, a very important role. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you mentioned that, Dave, because obviously we're seeing a lot of riders out injured this year. You've got an experienced guy that can step in. It's also where for KTM, Danny Pedrosa is doing a great job for them. He's shown that whenever he's stepped in this year. But you need to have that rider post Pedrosa as well. And it's almost like Pedrosa will now be able to, over the next year, shift into that Mechacalio role. And then Paul can take on the Pedrosa role. And KTM, they just keep that momentum going. For me, the main thing in this was that they've got a cost on the bike. There was no bad decision as long as Pedro gets on the bike. Because like Neil said... His talent has shown just how good he is. He's already Moto3 world champion. 50 points clear now in Moto2 with six races to go. So you're looking at a Moto3, Moto2 champion. You can't afford to lose someone like that. Raul Fernandez um, is the counter-argument to that. Um, how do we know? I mean, how do we know he's going to be a Mark Marquez and not a Raul Fernandez? That, that to me, is the big question. Well, the thing with it is, you never know. But you make your assumption based on what if he is the next Marquez? <laughs> And uh, with Raul, it was always interesting that, like, I know Adam was a big fan of Raul in Moto3 because he had all those pole positions. I think he had half a dozen poles. He was always a really good single lap guy. And you thought, do you know what? Maybe he's just a bit too big to be able to pick up all the race wins. You know, his size worked against him. Moto2, really strong year. But it was also only one year. And it's with the IO squad. So Raul, once he moved up, he wasn't happy his first year. So it's one of those strange situations where to be able to to pick out a rider that is always difficult. But for me, and Neil, you obviously watch a lot more Moto3 and Moto2 than me and David. But when you look at Pedro, the Mark Marquez comparison is always the one that's going to be thrown out just because he's been so competitive. He's been so fast. He's been that rider that looks like a next generational talent. But he works in a very different way to Mark. Like Mark was always just get on a bike and ride it as hard as you possibly can and make the bike submit to your will. 
Whereas Pedro and like I'm basing this mostly on, on my experience working in the junior GP paddock because obviously it's been a while since I was working in MotoGP. But in the junior GP paddock, you could see that he was quite a an intelligent rider. He was building his way step by step, working his way up to the mark. And that was always one of the things that his team told me in junior GP that he was impressive for that. He seems to have done that in the Grand Prix classes as well because obviously to jump into Moto3, it's an easier stepping stone than from Moto3 to Moto2 because he's got three years experience on, on those bikes from the Spanish Championship. But step by step on a Moto2 bike, he's just been more and more impressive. Yeah, yeah. He's been, um, I mean, pretty impressive right the way through uh, all three years in the, the Grand Prix paddock. Um, I guess you could say maybe he was a bit of a letdown at the start of last year, but even then he was still a rookie um, and he's still 18 years old. Uh, riding in the Moto Two class, um, perhaps I think we all got a little bit too excited too early due to uh, some of his preseason testing performances. But yeah, as you say, um, it was around Le Mans last year where it just kind of clicked the Moto Two, and um, he's been a, a regular front runner pretty much since then. And um, yeah, this year he's just shown that he's the he's the kind of complete championship animal. Um, he made a mistake earlier in the year in France. Um, he was a bit rubbish in the rain in Argentina. And he's since worked pretty relentlessly, training in wet conditions, um, away from the track. Um, and then we saw him get a pole position in the rain back at Silverstone, which showed that, you know, he's very aware of his weaknesses and he's addressing them through the season. And he's able to rectify that quite quickly. He's able to turn that around. And there's been a couple of tracks that we've gone to where he's been seeing them for the first time on a Model 2 machine like Assen, um, Silverstone. And he was still able to finish on the podium. Um, so, you know, Pedro's bad days, aside from Argentina and France, have been third places. Sixth place in Barcelona was something of a disaster, but even then he was still ahead of his, his main championship rival. Um, and yeah, he's doing this all at the age of 19, which is, uh, is just kind of ludicrous. And I think more than that, you're sort of looking at a rider and, and trying to assess just how smart they are, what their kind of ability is to, to deal with pressure, uh, to deal with expectation. And just from what you hear about Pedro from his team, everything seems to be in place for him to be the next kind of superstar. Just how he deals with how he deals with fame, how he deals with expectation, how he deals with pressure. Um, you know, I always think back to um, speaking to Akiayo just after he won that first Grand Prix in Qatar in 2021 from pit lane. Um, and he showed up at the next race and Ayo asked him, you know, how's the last couple of weeks been for you? And Pedro said that he, he had changed the SIM card. He had like sort of basically deleted social media from his phone and uh, changed the SIM card because he was like, ah, I don't want to pay attention to all these people messaging me. And he was like, that showed that he was, he was kind of focused on the right things. He wasn't getting carried away by newfound fame. So, you know, stories like that, you realize that, um, you know, he's got that steely focus as well as, an insane riding ability. Uh, yeah, I mean, the other thing is, I mean, I like to go down to uh, pit lane when people are sort of preparing for, uh, for for other classes and you will see the way that he interacts with his team is quite interesting. He's clearly uh, quite relaxed around his team. He spends time around his team um, when he's not actually riding. You'll see a lot of riders come in, sit down, do the debrief, leave, and then sort of, you know, not talk to their teams anymore. Uh, Acosta seems to be hanging around the garage a little bit more, seems to be talking to his team. There just seems a little bit more of a connection there. Um, and that sort of investment in socializing pays off later. 
down the road because you have a much tighter team structure. You have people prepared to go that, you know, that, that little bit of um, extra for you. And that kind of intelligence, that kind of emotional intelligence, I think, um, is really important to succeeding. And you asked why he will not turn out to be a Ralph Fernandez. I mean, you just answered your own question there, Dave, that, uh, with what you just said. Yeah, my God, I've been hoist by my own devil's advocate. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Dave, I'll give you a different one then, because you mentioned about Paul likely to retire in 2024 at the end of next season if it hadn't been for this announcement. So this is where the, the decision to keep Fernandez makes perfect sense. But also for KTM, the optics of it would look really bad if you ditch another young rider, another Moto2 world champion after one season, and you just say, right, move on to the next guy. This is actually what works out a lot better for KTM whenever they've got such a you know a, a talent way from Rookies Cup into Moto3, into Moto2, and then into MotoGP. So it was really important for them to keep Fernandez, even if either either decision for me wouldn't have made a big difference. Yeah, I mean, and you saw it a little bit with Sasaki, um, uh uh, deciding not to go with Intax, not to go with Husqvarna, but but going with the what is it, the Yamaha VR forty six uh, uh, Correos Postal Service um, team. Um, that is, uh, you know, you're being offered sort of different uh, different approaches, and like normally, if you're within the KTM structure, you stay within the KTM structure because you know that it's going to be your best shot at getting into a into MotoGP. Um, this looks like um, there was a serious risk if they'd got rid of Augusto Fernandez of young riders no longer believing in that uh, in that pipeline in that MotoGP pipeline, and that then becomes a really really big problem. Yeah, and that's one of the big things. And Neil, just about talent pipelines as well. Quite interesting for us. David mentioned there a little bit about Acosta's background and how he works with a team and this, that, and the other. But what's interesting is. He's a young Spaniard coming through, but he's not from Catalonia. It's another rider that's coming from outside Catalonia. And I think that's quite interesting compared to a couple of months ago when we had, or even just, I think it was five weeks ago, build up the Catalan Grand Prix that uh, Damia was on with us. And he was talking about the development of riders in Catalonia. And now here's the next Spanish superstar. And it's from down south, close to Valencia, down in Murcia. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mercia seems to be the new the new Barcelona. And uh, Pedro is coming through from there. Fermin Aldeguer, who's another, you know, real big talent in Moto2 currently. Um, maybe not quite on the same trajectory as Pedro, but, um, you know, a rider that I think can be in MotoGP in the next couple of years. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of funny how both of them are from a, a very similar or very close by region in uh, in Mercia. Um, yeah, and uh, in terms of uh, really fast Catalans coming through, you're kind of struggling. I mean, there's tons of Spaniards um, in, the, in the junior categories that you can see coming up to MotoGP in one day. But um, yeah, the, the sort of the Catalan supply line is not quite what it was. No, it's still a lot better than pretty much everywhere <laughs> outside Spain and Italy. But um, it's maybe not quite as it was, let's say, 10, 15 years ago when there were, um, you know, seven, eight riders going at the MotoGP. Yeah, well, it's interesting though as well, Neil, because like, just looking at Moto3, for instance, obviously Masia is the championship leader. He's a very established rider. I think he's, what, 22, 23 years of age, but from Valencia. Then you've also got Halgado, Ivan Ortola are both from Alicante Valencia direction as well. So there's three of the top six in the Moto3 World Championship, all from in and around that area. So that is the talent hotbed right now. Just before we move on to preview this weekend's Indonesian Grand Prix, Neil, very quickly, just on Moto3, 
this has been a really good season so far. There's, what, nine points between the top three in the championship. We've had a really good race last time out, but uh, six rounds to go. It's just going to be a question of survival of the fastest, as usual, in Moto3. It's going to be interesting. Should be good, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. Just need to get that through to David, um, you know, who usually uh, saves the, the Moto3 race for what? Do you even watch Moto3 anymore, Dave? I think for yeah, David, December. it's usually around yeah, Christmas. I'll, I'll yeah, just watch the season highlights package. Exactly. I just, I mean, like, no, I do, I do watch the sort of like, I tend to watch the highlights rather than the um, full race. And especially when uh, Moto3 race will be on at what, three or four o'clock in the morning, uh, I'm afraid there's very little I'm prepared to get up for at three o'clock in the morning. Well, I'll tell you what, David, at three or four o'clock in the morning, will Marco Bezzecchi be watching the Moto3 <laughs> race or is he going to be getting himself ready for a MotoGP race? Uh, that is a very good question. What's happened is Marco Bezzecchi was, um, uh, had a training crash at the ranch. Uh, I think Saturday night is usually the race night at the VR46 ranch um, where they have a proper... Um, a little dirt track race, all of the VR46 Academy riders. Um, he fell, he broke his ca- his collarbone. This is, you know, the risk of training, but the only way that you can train, uh, like understand uh, and learn about controlling a motorcycle at speed is by, well, practicing controlling a motorcycle at speed. Um, dirt track is a fantastic way of of, of training when you're not allowed to ride a MotoGP bike. Um, he had uh, surgery on Sunday, uh, had a, uh, well, the press release didn't say, but pre- we presume that he had a plate fitted. Um, he's going to make a decision. I think there was a story on GP1 that um, uh, with the, who introduced uh, Uche Salucci, the team manager, uh, saying that Pazeki will make a decision about uh, flying to... Uh, uh, flying to Mandalika on Wednesday, um, so he'll be there just in time for uh, for the race. But or he might uh, or he might choose to skip it. But it's been a it's been a sort of a bit of a rough week or a, a rough couple of races for the Mooney VR forty six uh, team because Luca Marini manages uh, managed to break his collarbone um, in a crash in uh, India. Just, uh, Neil, just about Bezeki. obviously this means that we've got big decisions to make. The Paddock Pass podcast, uh, MotoGP Fantasy League, Bezeki's obviously one of the top riders in that. He's also a rider me and you both have on our teams. And it's getting closer between us. There's only, I think, 28 points between us now. So this is going to be the make or break time. Do you gamble on Bezeki or do you make a change? I'm, I'm asking this purely for everyone else's information gathering purposes not for mine are you going to keep marco bazaki on your team neil <laughs> uh yes steve but then you have to decide whether that is a bluff or not um yeah i mean it's uh it's disastrous really you'd have to say even if bazaki does make it to mandalika it's going to be very very difficult for him to complete this next section of races you know three uh three races in three weeks a lot of travel in between those races as well which i think is punishing for anyone when they are completely fully fit, never mind nursing a, an injury, a, a fresh injury. Um, and, you know, I always thought Pizzecki was going to be a bit of a long shot uh, this season. You know, 54 points back at Banyai in the championship. Um, he's been so, so brilliant on certain occasions this year, but maybe just not quite had the, the, the consistency um, of the other two in the championship. So I always thought it was going to be difficult for him to get ahead of both Martin and Banyaya. Um But now with this injury, I mean... Yeah, it's going to be a real 
real drag for him. Uh, it's going to be very, very difficult, um, you know, just to just even make the race. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he skipped Mandalika, um, you know, and then we tried to make a comeback maybe at somewhere like Phillip Island where it's not quite as as physically demanding. But then at the same time, you do have a lot of very fast changes of direction, which I'm sure aren't going to be easy for um, for that collarbone. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's tough, heartbreaking for him, really. Um, and I don't want to speak too soon, but you would have to say, yeah, those chances of the championship are pretty much dwindling. Yeah, fifty points is the margin in the championship standings. And David, just before we take a break, when you look at this weekend, this is a track that's always dusty offline. It's always low grip. We saw it in World Superbikes earlier this season. If you were a foot off the line, you were having real real issues you could tuck the front we saw a lot of riders run off at turn 10 we saw a couple of big high sides michael vandermark had a big high side if you're offline you're in the lap of the gods bautista had a massive crash in the super pole race as well whenever he was just running out onto the curbs when he's battling with with johnny ray so this isn't the kind of place you want to go with if you're nursing that injury as well yeah exactly i mean you're going to be that little bit more uh, sort of cautious around it uh, you're going to be a little bit more, um, uh, a little bit more careful, a little bit more concerned. Uh, so yeah, it, it's not the kind of place where you really want, where you know there's going to be grip everywhere, where you know that you can uh, you can afford to make a mistake. Um, uh, it could mean that he's just very very cautious. But uh, I think we'll we'll get to see whether he believes in the championship or not, depending on whether he decides to race. Yeah, and another thing working against him is, you know, three of the next four tracks that we're going to, Indonesia, Thailand, Sepang and Malaysia, you know, three of the most challenging conditions that you could hope to race in, you know, whether you're fully fit or or carrying an injury like this. So, um, yeah, I think that makes his task even harder. Yeah, I think that's a fair point as well, Neil. It's always really difficult conditions in Southeast Asia. We're going to take a quick break on the Paddock Pass podcast. When we come back, we're going to look at our two main championship rivals and how we think they're going to set up over the next six races. Renthal Street, Chain and Sprockets are perfectly matched for maximum power transfer and efficiency. From racetrack to daily rider, with over 800 fitments, Renthal Street has a final drive solution for almost any bike. Use Renthal.com to find the correct fitment. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Renthal Street. I mentioned just before the break, David, that we're going to talk about six races. This is a triple header. There's six races for MotoGP in uh, the next three weeks. And these are the critical rounds because for our two championship leaders, Peko Bagnaya and Jorge Martin, there's only three points between them. This is where you really need to separate yourself from each other. These three rounds dictate how you're going to finish the season. Are you going to be trying to go all out attack or are you going to try and defend the points lead? So, the next three re- weeks could easily be where the championship is won and lost. Uh, definitely, I mean, like, is three points even a uh, a lead worth defending? It's um, you know, uh, it's the difference between first and second in a sprint race. Uh, it, there's not that much to be gained by risking a lot. I think, uh, as you say, six. Uh, we've got six GPs in seven weeks. Uh, which is, you know, 12 races, you know, sprint race and sprint race and Grand Prix. Uh, I, I think you have to be conservative because you cannot afford to make a mistake. You cannot afford to be injured. But you also have to have just a working base setup. There's no time to be uh, faffing around with looking for a work, you know, trying to get something working. 
Um, you need to know, just be able to roll out of the box, know the bike is going to work, uh, and just figure out the tires because we are going to tracks where people have less uh, experience. You know, we have um, we have Mandalika where, as we say, you know, offline the track is the, the track is filthy, so it's really difficult. Um, then we go to Philippine, which is an extremely unusual circuit. We go to Thailand, where again we have not so much experience. Um, we go to Sepang, where there is a lot of uh, uh, data. But then we go to Qatar, which is completely resurfaced. And as we saw at the F1 race this weekend, um, which I didn't watch, but which I have been informed about, um, there were serious tyre problems because of the track surface. So there's, you know, like uh, there, there, there's, it's really, really difficult. I spoke briefly to uh, Jano Cefeli, uh, the track designer today, and he was he was sort of like saying basically the 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 way that the surface has been done means you know the, the, it was it was placing a lot of stress on the tyres, um, and he says also that's going to be a race where it's going to be really really easy to crash. Um, and what with it being the penultimate round, I think it then that really puts a lot of pressure on. Uh, on a race, you know, on, on anyone thinking of the championship. You really have to be conservative. Neil, it's four races in a row or four rounds in a row where Martin has outscored Bagnaya. David mentioned about the base setting being really important going forward. You have to make sure you've got your bike in the window because you can't go chasing your tail in these flyaway races. That's what Martin and Ducati had to do for much of the last five, six weeks. At least last time out in Motagi, it looked like they'd found a bit of a solution but this week in Indonesia is going to be a real test for them. It is, yeah. It definitely is. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty convinced that if we had a full race distance at Mategi, we would have seen a proper elbows out kind of scrap between the pair of them. Um, you know, obviously, uh, both did magnificently well to be at the front of that race, considering the kind of risks that they were taking in those those conditions, the first wet conditions of the weekend. Um but yeah, I mean, Banyaya basically has to, to start from zero again. He's lost 63 points in the last four rounds, three and a half rounds technically, if you exclude the sprint in, in Barcelona. Um, I mean, that's a, a big, big deterioration. Obviously, the, the, the kind of the crash at Barcelona was, uh, you know, was a, a key in that. Um, and it's just going to be interesting to see, um, how he sort of deals with it. Um, you know, maybe the kind of this change in, in mentality that Banyai will have is actually going to, to help him somewhat because last year we saw that he really worked best whenever um, whenever basically the hopes of the championship were gone. Um, that was when he was able to start making a big ground on Fabio Quartararo, 91 points back, which he managed to recover. Um, and, you know, we've kind of seen it in some of his races this year when you kind of almost take it for granted that he's going to win, then he makes some kind of mistake. It's more like when he's up against it that you see the, the, the very best of Peko. So, um, I'm, I wouldn't be calling, uh, you know, a, a Martin double win here. Um, I think we're going to see a reaction from Banyaya. I think he'll have taken real, uh, confidence from the improvement that we saw from the start of the weekend of Mategi to the end and then his performance in the race as well. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's going to be fascinating because, uh, they've been the two fastest guys this year and they're basically starting from afresh in this kind of stage of the championship where, as Dave was saying, we're going to lots of places where it's almost like a blank slate. I know we had a Grand Prix in Indonesia last year, but it was such a random weekend. Um, we weren't really able to discern too much from the results there, um, both in wet and dry. So it's it's going to be fascinating. 
Yeah, I mean, the one thing about this weekend is the conditions look to be much, much more settled. Uh, you know, it's going to be hot, it's going to be humid, but it doesn't look like there's going to be sort of a massive downpour. Uh, it looks like it's going to be mostly dry. So teams will have a ta- have a chance to sort of, you know, work a little bit on setup. Obviously, the track is going to be filthy um, because it hasn't been used much as far as I, can, as, as far as I know. Um, that it'll need cleaning up, but it'll also be much easier to clean the track with motor two and motor three riding around uh, and and using using the track and you know not more dirt being washed onto the track uh, in the with with the various rainstorms that they had this uh, last year. So you know the, there is much more hope that it will be a more controlled. The conditions will be more more controlled and more predictable, and uh, you know less. Uh, there's a chance that. You know, come sort of um, the end of Friday or uh, Saturday morning, we'll actually have a ch- have an idea of who might be quite good. Yeah, I think that's one of the key things, David, is that if we've got a clear weather day on Friday, we're able to actually get good information because with the new track surface compared to last year, all the wet weather they had last year, their data from the tests are all a little bit out the window as well. That's where having even just data from world superbikes this year helped some of the manufacturers so for ducati they've obviously got some experience from what we saw there earlier in the season but when you go to mandelica at this time of year the weather can just come out of nowhere and that's always a big challenge it's always in around two three o'clock in the afternoon that's whenever the rain's going to come so this is where it becomes very important to be able to just have a good forecaster and then more than anything else neil just keeping calm keeping a cool head all the way through the weekend that's going to be the key thing and over the course of the last couple of months it's been jorge martin that we've seen that's probably kept the coolest head yep it is yep he's managed to to sort of uh deal with any challenge that's come his way in the last couple of weekends um you know beating peco at home at Mizano, uh the dramas of india where he had to deal with several factors going against him in the sunday race wrong tire choice leathers coming apart uh, dehydration um, and then obviously the the kind of the randomness of the conditions then in Mategi and he uh, he excelled on each occasion so um, yeah it's it's uh, it's juicy he's the four man you know but I um, yeah you know I, I think when Peko's been at his best this year it has been almost another level to the to the other guys um, and I, I you know he has. Uh, I'm, I'm convinced that he's going to come back and uh, make this uh, a proper fight. That I can see Martin just, uh, you know, beating him from here until the end and uh, pissing off. I think we're going to have a genuine tussle for it. Dave, what about for this weekend? Just before we finish up the show, for a low grip track, nothing to lose, the chance of springing a bit of a surprise. Brad Binder's always worthy of, of a shout at this time of year. Well, I mean, we had a KTM win last year, so yeah, uh, why not? Um, yeah, low grip is interesting. Uh, the Aprilias, the Aprilias do really well in low grip conditions as well. So uh, I think that's one to care to keep an eye on. Also, it is a bit more of a flowing track. It's not so much of a stop and go track. So that's going to help the Aprilias as well. Um, yeah, uh, Alicia Spargaro, um, Maverick Vinales, Miguel Oliveira. I mean, Oliveira won here last year, so uh, and, and was generally pretty quick. So the yeah, I, I think it could be interesting. I don't think there's going to be a really sort of clear cut um, favourite. And if we do see some of the Aprilias mixing up at the front, then things get a lot more interesting in the title fight. Yeah. But it's in the tropics, Dave, and we know Aprilia's record riding in the tropics is. (laughs) 
not just their record, but the reliability record is uh, is pretty dodgy. Um, you know, wondering how they'll be able to deal with the heat. That could be that could be something that is of concern to the uh, the Noali boys. But yeah, I think that's a that's a good shot. Low grip has uh, worked well for them, and the track is uh, fairly flowing. I mean, Quattararo was on pole here last year and finished on the podium in the rain when he's not usually that good in the rain. So, um, you know, that showed that the Yamaha was working well last year. Um, but just looking at the grid um, from last year's race in the dry, I mean, I think we had uh, four Ducatis in the top six, five Ducatis in the top nine. So, you know, uh, just going off what we've seen this year, you know, Ducati are just strong whatever the conditions are. Um, and then, yeah, maybe we can see a binder up there. Maybe we can see uh, one or two of the Aprilias if they're able to make it to the, the finish line. Yeah, I mean, my understanding of the of the Aprilia issue is there are uh, there's a couple of electronics components which seem to be suffer, suffering in the heat. Um, now, that might also be, uh, to a certain extent, sort of, you know, placement where it's located and the available cooling. Uh, that shouldn't be terribly difficult to fix um but uh yeah if they can if they can address that uh, and if the temperature sort of cooperates a little bit then 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 i still think this there but i mean you're absolutely right there are you know we used to talk about yamaha tracks and honda terra tracks and ducati tracks well there are basically 20 ducati tracks and next year there'll be 22 ducati tracks ducati just works everywhere yeah, data makes a big difference for that. And when they've got so many bikes, it helps them whenever you're in conditions like this or situations like this where having more information always helps. David, you mentioned there about one of the components struggling in the heat. Well, that's going to be Neil this week. You're going to be out <laughs> in Indonesia, Neil. 30 degrees, 90% humidity. I tell you what, Neil, with the amount of hair you have, like that'll be all over the place. Me and David, we're a little bit more challenged like that, so the humidity doesn't... <laughs> affect us as badly but uh, you're going to have you're going to have your hands full in every which way this week exactly hands full of uh, bintang bottles I imagine and uh, yeah I'll, I'll send a photo Steve of the sunset uh, when I'm li- lying on the beach at the end of a busy day at the track so um, yeah you can be sure of that that's that's all that I need Neil <laughs> nice nice little umbrella in your cocktail and I'll be happy <laughs> If you like what you heard on this week's Paddock Pass podcast, be sure to check out our Paddock Notes show on Thursday on your podcast feed. The Notes show is a daily roundup of all the action from each day of a MotoGP weekend. 20 minutes straight after the debriefs at Riders or after we've talked to team personnel and it brings you all the latest news in a little bite-sized show. So be sure to check that out. If you want to get that throughout the course of the weekend, become a Paddock Insider on patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass podcast. Thursday's note show is going to be very interesting because it's going to be Mark Marquez's first chance to be able to talk to the media since he announced his move from Honda. We've obviously discussed that on the last Paddock Pass podcast as well, but uh, be sure to check out what Mark has to say on Thursday. In addition to the Paddock Note Show, we'll also have our ORNF Unlock series where we dive into an area of interest with the ORNF team each Grand Prix weekend. So check that out on your podcast feed on Friday. We'll be back next week for an Indonesian Grand Prix with Adam back with us before he flies down to join Neil in Australia. And we'll bring you all the latest news and reviews from the Indonesian Grand Prix. If you're a company looking to get involved with us on the Paddock Pass podcast to sponsor the podcast, we get over a million hits a year. The last week with the Mark Marquez news, we ended up with 30,000 hits in a week. And if you'd like to get involved with us, be sure to drop us an email, team at paddockpasspodcast.com.